0: Starting college is one of the most traumatic life shifts a person can go through. One moment you're at the top of the theoretical high school food chain, seniors maybe just turned 18, and the next year a freshman again, in a brand new city and perhaps a new country, stuck between adolescence and young adulthood. You may stare at yourself in the mirror after just moving in, surrounded by your unpacked boxes, having hugged your parents goodbye, and you could be wondering what in four years you'll look like getting your diploma. The changes you go through in college may not involve physical appearance, but they often do. Now that you're out of the house, you can get that tattoo you've always wanted, or transition your looks or wardrobe to reflect who you feel like inside. Everyone must grapple with themselves, what identities both chosen and assigned to them at birth they choose to embrace at Wellesley. Hi, I'm Maddie Paoletti, and for this episode of Pod the Conversation by Wellesley Active Minds, we're discussing identity. An often overlooked facet of Love Your Body Week is the celebration of identity, who we are, and how this reflects our presentation to others. There are many facets which make up an identity, which you can break down into either personal or social aspects. Personal identities make you you, specifically any like or dislike you have without any link to historical disenfranchisement or bias. This may be your favorite color, movie, or whether you like pineapple on your pizza. Social identities are those which are constructed by society that can elicit a sort of privilege. There are nine commonly accepted groups part of social identity. Ability status, age, sex assigned at birth, gender expression or identity, nationality, race or ethnicity, religious affiliation, sexual orientation, and socioeconomic status. Someone may find some of these affiliations brings more privilege or bias than others. The idea of intersectionality is when someone's identities are combined into a web of discrimination and or privilege. Here in the United States, we often see straight, cis, white men having been born with the most privilege, since those identities don't have historical linkage to discrimination or disenfranchisement, whereas we see trans women of color having to face much more bias and barriers in society. It's most likely that some of your social identities bring privilege and others bias. For example, I'm an able-bodied, cis, white, woman that comes from a middle-class family. On the other hand, I suffer from mental illness. I'm a woman and identify as bisexual. Those nine proclaimed social identities may not be equally important to you either. I'd say being a woman and suffering from depression impacts my day-to-day life more than where I was born, but this isn't the case for everyone. Discovering and identifying yourself must come with the knowledge of these groups so you can use it to acknowledge your privilege. At Wellesley, both your social and personal identities may decide how you make friends or what groups you join. You may want to participate in cultural orgs or be friends with people from similar backgrounds, or you may just really enjoy knitting and want to join the knitting club. In college, you're free to choose who you hang out with, how to engage with your peers, and what identities you want to embrace. But what happens when you join a group and don't feel like you belong? I'm sure everyone at Wellesley has heard the term imposter syndrome, so much it's almost lost its meaning, but it doesn't make it any less prevalent or damaging. It's the feeling of being a fraud in a situation or having doubts about skills, talents, or accomplishments. This feeling happens to everyone, but it can become chronic with unmanaged stress or anxiety. Some personality types may also experience it more. According to the book, The Secret Thoughts of Successful Woman by Valerie Young, there are perfectionists which set high expectations for themselves. And if they meet 99% of their goals, they can feel like failures. Any small mistake may cause distress. An expert is someone who feels like they need to know everything to be smart, so much that they may hesitate to actually answer questions in class due to fear of being wrong or looking stupid. An aging child prodigy may struggle to accomplish things, and after being used to skills coming so easily, they think they're no longer good enough. And a soloist is someone who feels like they must accomplish tasks on their own, and asking for help is a sign of failure. If you feel personally called out by any of those things, don't worry, you're not alone. At a school as academically challenging as Wellesley. These sort of personalities may even feel required for success, but being constantly afflicted by self-doubt isn't a good model for long-term happiness or accomplishment. The best ways to manage feelings of imposter syndrome are by first breaking the silence. Talk with your friends and classmates to know you're not alone. Separate your feelings from fact. Just because you feel stupid in a moment doesn't mean you are. You should also recognize what sort of situations make you feel inadequate. If you're a black indigenous person of color, first-generation, or low-income student, it's understandable that you'd sometimes feel out of place. Instead of taking that self-doubt as a sign of ineptness, seek resources and support to help you along. Also, learn to accept failure and mistake-making. Humans in our nature naturally make mistakes, and it is the fault of a system which doesn't properly support this phenomenon which makes mistakes feel like our fault. Never think you aren't good enough for Wellesley. If anything, Wellesley isn't good enough for you. Make sure you always assert your rights to proper rules, care, and support if the system feels like it's against you. Up to this point, we've talked about personal, social, and mental aspects and conflicts to identity. What about physical aspects? The modern world often feels very materialistic. There's a huge emphasis and judgment towards how someone looks or presents themselves, which informs how others view us and how we view ourselves. People will often make assumptions about you based on appearance, based on their own personal bias or experience, which may lead to some stereotyping. This isn't to say that taking pride in your look or appearance is always negative. For many people, physical expression through clothing, accessories, piercings, tattoos, hairstyling is an outlet for their personal or cultural identities. Lots of things may make up your identity, which is what should be celebrated the diversity found at Wellesley and the intelligent, amazing individuals at the school is what makes it great. Love Your Body Week is about celebrating who you are, both on the inside and out. To give more information about forming identities at Wellesley, our special guest for this episode is Shantae Brown, the first year dean and an orientation coordinator.
1: Great. So do you
0: want to first off, like introduce yourself and what your role is at Wellesley?
1: Sure. Um, So my name is Shantae Brown. I am the Dean of First Year Students, um, and I actually have just celebrated my two-year anniversary at Wellesley, Um, and I'm really excited um, as we get ready to start planning my third orientation. Um, It's a little bit weird to think about um, in November, but (laughs) uh, we are going to start planning for the incoming class of 2025, um, which is a green class, and I'm super excited about it.
0: That's so weird for me to think about. (laughs) I first just wanted to ask, um, what do you, like planning orientation and as a first year advisor, really focus on and trying to like introduce students to Wellesley um, and how to adjust from high school to college?
1: Yeah, so I kind of think about orientation in a couple of different ways, particularly given um, how we've been impacted by the pandemic. And so how we approached orientation this year, um, we did primarily a remote orientation program and then a couple of days of in-person orientation. But um, our remote stuff I considered to be like the nuts and bolts, what you needed to know before you showed up on campus, like what you absolutely need to know before you're a Wellesley student. And then um, what I wanted students to get out of the in-person experience, um, which we ended up not calling orientation, we called it Love Wellesley Weekend, I wanted students to be able to um, find some affinity groups that they could identify with, um, to have an experience where they would be able to identify with the Wellesley campus if they were indeed on campus and get to know the space and their blockmates. It was a, it was it turned out really interesting um, given the like quarantining testing um, protocols, um, but I do think overall. Um, we hit some of our larger goals of making sure that students transitioned into the community. Obviously, as you know, from your own own orientation, like traditionally orientation has been a seven day experience where you have been able to meet a ton of people and participate in a lot of live events and large scale events. And we just couldn't do that this year. And so everything um, was much smaller, but my biggest focus has always been um, getting a student to feel like they belong in the place and to also help them figure out who they are or who they want to be as a student, um, recognizing that when you come to college, you are not a fully formed person yet. Um, you, your identity is still evolving in like so many different ways. And you come in as one person and four years later, you will leave as somebody completely different, most likely.
0: hmm now, how do you think uh, someone forming, like, their identity from, like, an adolescent into, like, college and then adulthood is different uh, at Wellesley versus at another college?
1: Yeah, um, what I find really moving about the Wellesley community um, that I think helps to form a student's identity is the... Um, the bond that students have with their sibs. You get to know so many different people with so many different identities um, and intersectional identities and things that um, make every single person unique that you have this opportunity to learn and grow but also to be stretched outside of your comfort zone and to think about like adolescence and your identity when you come to college. Like your identity is mostly formed by what you knew at home um, and the values and beliefs that you were raised on. And then you get to come to Wellesley and maybe experiment with a few different things. Um, and you maybe find a identity-based club or organization where students are really passionate and you realize that you really do have an interest in that particular area, or you do identify somewhere along the LGBTQ um, realm and that you want to be involved in that. And that is important to you. Um, and I think Wesley gives students so many opportunities to find their niche, but to not be stuck there. So like, you could be, you could identify as LGBTQ. Um, you can identify as Black and make a connection with the Harambe house. You can be Black and Latinx and find a connection in, in Acorns. You can make all of these different connections and find all of these different support systems to bolster you as a human so that when you are ready to leave Wellesley, you have made like a full transition from like older adolescents to young adult. Um, but you are fairly confident in who you are moving forward in the world. And that is pretty powerful. I think a lot of other institutions focus a lot on like the the academics um, and making sure that students are like academically grounded. And it's not that we don't focus on the academics but we give students an opportunity to be academically rigorous, but also figure out who they are. My favorite part about watching students come in as first years and leaving as seniors, like you see students change from, who they were to who they are or who they're going to be. And it's really, um, it's really inspirational. It's my favorite part of working with students.
0: Yeah, I always love um, asking seniors to see their student ID cards. Just you can already, like
1: so many look so different from (laughs) their uh, orientation photos. That's so true. Um, I, oddly enough, still have my ID card from my first year in college. Oh, really? Um, I look the same. (laughs) That in itself is um, pretty remarkable. Yes, I do take some pride in that I have not aged in the last mm-hmm. 15 years. <laughs> well one, uh, I think one factor that can
0: uh, be a conflict to uh, forming identity is um, a sort of imposter syndrome that I feel like a lot of students coming into Wellesley may have. Have you, um, how do you deal with that with introducing new students to uh, the Wellesley environment?
1: Absolutely. Um, We see imposter syndrome in our office, in the questions office, I would say so regularly. Um, And it really, for me, um, as I work with first-year students, it doesn't break my heart necessarily, but it makes me want to like wrap a student in a warm hug and reassure them that they have a place at Wellesley. I want every student to know that admissions does not make mistakes. We do not accept random students off the street who don't deserve to be here. We have such a rigorous process to bring in new students that every single student at Wellesley deserves to be here. And I think where students struggle is that when they are challenged in the classroom and they're having a hard time, they think that they're the only person who's having a hard time. And the reality of that is that nobody's sharing with each other when they're having a hard time. I want us at Wellesley to normalize sharing with each other when we're struggling. I think that that would help with imposter syndrome so much for students to know like, it's not just me, like I'm not the only person who did not so hot on that exam. I I do think having that conversation with peers is something that is going to move students out of imposter syndrome a lot easier than me having that conversation with a student. Um, But also one thing that I see in Wellesley students and perhaps you identify with this, and I think it's part of imposter syndrome is this need for perfectionism because we have all been kind of raised in this world where we have to show up as our perfect selves flaws and mistakes are not allowed. But what I really wanna ask students is who are you proving yourself to? You only need to prove to yourself that you're good enough. That's it. So turning in some work is better than turning in no work as you work through your perfectionist tendencies. Um, I tell students that a lot, Um, but like our professors are really compassionate and understanding. And they're not expecting you as an 18 or 19 year old work to a student to be turning in like doctoral level work um, when you're still getting acclimated to being a college student in general. They're looking forward to seeing your growth through a term or semester or your four years um, and seeing you progress. And you don't have to come out of the gate as a perfectionist um, and to have everything right um, in this world. Mistakes are okay, um, and I think they're applauded in a lot of cases. We can all grow from mistakes, and I think imp- a bit of imposter syndrome allows us to feel like we're not allowed to make any mistakes, and that's just not the case. Nobody's perfect.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so how do you think someone can go about the safest and um, healthiest way uh, finding themselves at Wellesley with, like, joining groups or um, things like that?
1: Yeah, so um, what I would say in our current world, um, sometimes in-person events are really hard. Like you have to sign up for things and register in advance. Um, But students shouldn't be afraid to be in the online world. I know after like classes and meetings, we all kind of feel zoomed out. But one thing to keep in mind is that when you are zooming with a club or organization, like those are your peers. Those are your people. Those will be your friends when you're able to get together in person, and so that shouldn't feel as taxing as sitting in class or a group meeting on Zoom. Um, so jump into W. Engage and find um, identity-based clubs and organizations. Do some googling of the Wellesley site. Um, there are a lot of organizations that are listed. Reach out to the Office of Intercultural Education and see what support systems exist there, what um, advisors for specific, specific identity groups exist, because we all want our students to be able to, um, to find their people. The other thing that I will say that helped me a lot as an undergraduate is to, particularly around like identity-based development is to look for people who looked like me. And I think for our um, students of color on campus, I think that that is really important um, to be able to find the people who look like you, and to know um, that like we're all cheering for you to be successful, and we want to be in your team um, of support people to help you be successful. And so. I will offer myself as a, a person for any Black student on campus who is looking to make a connection. Um, if you see me on campus or you see me in Zoom, um, stretch out of your comfort zone and reach out to me and introduce yourself. Let's make a connection and be vulnerable and honest and let me help you navigate this transition. And I know that there are scores of other people, of um, staff of color on campus and faculty of color on campus who are willing to do the same thing um, to help students along the way. Um, Thinking about our underrepresented students, our first gen students, I also identify as a first gen student. um, And I, you know, I navigated college um, on my own the first time for my undergrad, I did it for my master's degree, and I just started doing it again for my doctorate. Um, And that feeling of being a first gen student never goes away. Um, Like you never really know the systems to navigate um, or the people to ask unless you seek them out. Um, And at Wellesley, we've done a really good job of actually seeking out our first gen students instead of waiting for them to come to us. Um, And that isn't always the case at all institutions. And so um, I just want to encourage students to reach out to those people um, that do um, actively identify themselves as resources. And to just do a little bit of stretching, um, to sit in the discomfort and to, you know, meet somebody new and to really just do a little bit of work. And I know it's hard with COVID to meet new people, like particularly if you're on campus, like you can only see people from the eyebrows up, eyes and eyebrows. And so to engage in like a Zoom club meeting or a Zoom senate meeting or anything like that, you can see someone's full range of emotions. You can see the vulnerability on their face and their expressions and you can start to identify with that person um, a little bit more than if you can only see if their eyebrows are going up and down Um, and not everybody smiles with their eyes. And so how do you know if someone is smiling behind a mask? Hard to tell.
0: Yeah. I feel like one of the challenges also for um, with the way that um, the situation worked out with having um, underclassmen on campus, there, there's almost like a little barrier between um, support from older peers with their um, new sibs. But uh, I agree. I hope people are able to take the initiative outside of Zoom um, to interact with people online.
1: Absolutely. I do think like if you find a clever or organization that you really love, that feels like it's your place to be, like go to one or two of their meetings if they're online, meet a couple of people and then connect with those people online or offline if they're in person on campus. Um, If you're remote and they're remote, set up a separate Zoom meeting, just like you would with maybe your friends from high school and maintaining a relationship. There's always a little bit of legwork in um, maintaining friendships and building friendships from the get go um it's such a reciprocal process um you it's a give and a take and it's uncomfortable and um as someone who struggles sometimes to make friends like I think you have to often challenge yourself to to say yes to things when you really want to say no because you just don't know what's going to happen but say yes see how that goes
0: yeah definitely is there anything else you'd like to add about um navigating Wellesley and just developing as a person?
1: I don't think so necessarily, but um, I do really want to encourage students as they begin to figure out who they are, who they might want to be, um, as they begin to step into some identities that perhaps they couldn't um, vocalize and share at home. Um, to find the support system at Wellesley that will help you vocalize and step into that identity in our community because those support systems do exist. If you can't be your fullest self at home, please know that you can be your full self at Wellesley. Awesome, thank you so much. Yeah, no problem.
0: I hope this episode has led to some introspection about yourself, but also has given you some useful insights into shaping your identity at Wellesley. I want to once again thank Shantae Brown for her time and thank you for joining us. For more information, visit our website and remember, together we can change the conversation of mental health.